Welcome to Advent Christian Voices with the Renewed Church Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Reynolds, and I'm joined by everyone's favorite communications director slash church health guy, Justin Nash. And again, we have a very special guest, Andy Rice, our biggest fan of the podcast, actually. Um, we are seeking to lead the discussion while providing practical advice on church health among Advent Christian churches. Thanks again for joining us, Andy, and being our biggest and probably only fan. It's my pleasure. <laughs> uh, by the way, I just want to say I really appreciate how you introduced yourself last time, um, that you are just thankful for being alive, because I'm as equally thankful for you to be alive and with us today. Well, I've been a long-time listener. <laughs> it's like, what? do you ever listen to uh, Sports Talk Radio? Long time, first time. Yep, that's right. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Exactly. So, lot, long time, first time. So, well, actually, this is a long time, second time. Long time, second time. Is that the is that the proper uh, order, or would it be second time, long time? I think that we should move on. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think I think it would be long time, first time, long time, second time. Yeah, to answer your question. Well, now that we've sufficiently lost everybody, what's up with you, Justin? Uh, not much. I'm just trying to take it all in, taking all the wisdom and all the uh, the what, what was that like grammatical analysis of <laughs> the right way? Yeah, that was a little over my head. I was lost, but I'm just well, happy to be here. Well, and this is just after we just had a 10, 10 minute conversation prior to recording about accents and dialects across the nation and um, pointing out flaws are pretty much how all of us talk. Except for Andy, I think we I think we agree that Andy has the best um, non regional dialect among us. Yeah, out of the three of us, no question. <laughs> I it's weird because when I when I came back when I used to live in Georgia, I come back home and still to this day people tell me that I sound like I'm from the South that live here in Massachusetts. And then when I go down south, people tell me that I'm clearly from Boston, which I live nowhere near Boston. But <laughs> You might want to check check a map. <laughs> I, listen, I live in Central Mass, which is no, we're at least an hour from Boston. Well, fifty five minutes. Yeah, that's that's pretty near Boston. <laughs> I think south of the Mason Dixon line, um, anywhere in New England is near Boston. <laughs> and well, no, Andy, no, you still... no, it's New York. We 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 distinguish between okay. Boston and New York. So just so you know, I'm grateful for that. Andy, when you lived in Central Mass, did you consider yourself living near Boston? No, no. I still don't. People say that they're going to Boston when they come to visit us, and we don't live in Boston. We live 13 miles north of Boston, and we avoid Boston. <laughs> but it's it's all relative. Yeah. So, you know, I look at I, – I was looking at a map at Charlotte the other day, and I thought you guys – when I used to think Charlotte, even when I lived in Georgia, I thought Charlotte was a lot closer – to the coast and you guys aren't as really close to the coast at all right no right yeah we're kind of in the middle of the state kind of south middle we're down close to south carolina when this where the state kind of goes down so yeah. well enough to talk about geography um, we're we're doing a, a two-part series podcast with andy rice which is part of a longer series of podcasts so we're really going to talk about uh pastoral health and we're talking to andy today because one he's um, he's going to be leaving uh, his faith evangelical church uh, soon, and, and will be taking um, taking the position of president of, of Berkshire Institute for Christian Studies. When I say taking, he's he's wrestling it away. Uh, I'm just 
he is. And I know, I know with Andy, it's been after a lot of prayer and prayerful consideration on behalf of his whole family. But um, I kind of thought, and Justin echoed this thought, was that Andy is leaving after nine years of being his first pastor. And he probably has a lot of good insight, especially being plugged in with so many younger and older pastors across the denomination that you really provide some insight for our listeners. So, so Andy, um, we're going to start with this. How how do you think churches can better support their pastor that has a union? Or, excuse me, our, our first question is actually, that's the title of the episode, is how can our churches better support a pastor with a young family? Our first question is actually going to be, what is unique about a church having a young pastor? Um, on the one hand, nothing. <laughs> uh, so that's been a great episode. We'll uh, catch you next time on... No, I, I think... It's helpful to start there and say that on the one hand, there's there's not much unique about a young pastor versus a seasoned pastor because uh, biblically speaking, it's still a leader that's gifted by God, um, called by God to serve in that church. Um, you know, a spiritual overseer, still one that the people are called to obey, to pray for, to follow, and so forth. So, you know, if he's called and qualified and affirmed. Um, from the perspective of the church, there's nothing unique. And I say that because it's easy to think um, a younger pastor is in some way less qualified to lead a church. Mm-hmm. Um, if he's not qualified, you shouldn't call him. So a younger pastor should be given the same amount of, um, of, of respect in a certain sense. But I think what you're getting at uh, and the point of the podcast here is to point out that younger pastors, especially if we're defining that as as younger pastors with young families um, have some unique needs, I think uh, over and against somebody who's been in ministry for a long time. Um, and what are some of those needs? That's the question, right? Um, I think yeah. I, as one with a young family, I can attest to some of these things. You have a, a particular need to be at home with your kids, with your wife, uh, to be very helpful. Um, with young children, there's a high demand in terms of what they need, in terms of what they're involved in. Um, so I think there's a time factor. Uh, some young, this is not exclusively true of young pastors, but some young pastors at least are away from their families. Where they're called to serve is not near where their parents live um, mm-hmm. or their kids' grandparents live. So travel is a factor. Vacation time is a factor. Uh, and then I think there's also some financial needs involved with being a young family, especially if that pastor is trying to buy a house, doesn't own a house, isn't doesn't have a parsonage. Um, there's particular needs there, or it's just coming out of school, um, college, or seminary with student loan debt. Um, so there's a lot of just unique circumstantial things. I mean, I think you could look at more seasoned pastors and say there's unique things there as well. Um, but I think churches should be generally aware of what a young pastor's bringing to the situation in terms of their mm-hmm. needs and their family's needs. Well, I, I think it's, don't you think it's a little bit interesting to look at the dynamics in which uh, we look at compensation for, for a pastor and we look at experience and qualifications as the determining factor of, all right, how much vacation time we're going to give this guy, how much, uh, how much financial compensation are we going to give? But really, I, I mean, at the front end of your ministry is when you're going to need probably more, uh, financial compensation than say at the back end, where at the front end you're paying off those student loan debts, you're paying for school, or you're paying for you know stuff for for your kids. Um, 
Whereas when maybe when you're 50s, 60s, you might have a lot of that stuff taken care of. Your kids are already out of the house and your um, your student loan debts are, are hopefully paid off by then. And um, so it kind of gives a different set of, of what's important and how, how to better support that, that pastor. Yeah, I think it's easy for churches to have the wrong starting point when they think about some of these things that you just brought up, compensation, vacation time, benefits. Um, often the starting point is just the business world um, mm-hmm. and the business model. So you're low on the totem pole. You're just starting out. Your experience is kind of low. So we'll start you at X and then we'll work you up um, as you go on and as you get more experience. Same with vacation time. And I think, not that that's always the wrong way to do things all the time. That's not my point. But I think a more helpful starting point is um, what I might refer to as the kingdom mindset. And that is to say, what what is this what, 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 what's the purpose of paying this pastor, first of all, is simply so that he can support his family so that as he serves us without having to work uh, outside. Um, we're talking about vocational pastor. So what is the need then? What, what can we give this pastor that would be generous, that would be help him to support his family? Um, starting with those questions is better than, well, we better start him low so that we can give him a raise next year. You know, like same with vacation time. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe we'll get into this more, but well, we better start him out with two weeks because that's what everybody does. And, and then maybe we'll add a week after five years or 10 years, as opposed to saying, well, what's the purpose of vacation time? Yeah. It's for rest. It's for rejuvenation. It's so that whatever the balance of the year is, he is serving well um, and faithfully. And I don't know anybody that can work, well, whatever your job is, uh, 50 weeks a year and 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 give you a solid 50 weeks, you know, mm-hmm. fully invested. I just don't think it happens. I don't think we can cheat time in that sense. I think we are wired for rest. So maybe it's better to start with a higher vacation time and don't raise it because that's what the pastor needs. So uh, I think starting with the, the right mindset is important. Yeah, I think that's good. What do you think, Justin? Because, I mean, I know you deal with um, or you work with a lot of churches. How do they typically – view when it comes to to compensation for any type of pastor not just a young pastor but of all ages well i think in terms of compensation one of the things that's i think has to be realized is that so much depends on the church itself and the resources it has to offer Mm -hmm. so that and you have to look at things um, contextually the setting for instance uh someone say serving in i don't know eastern north carolina is going to have the cost of living is going to be much less than in Seattle or Boston or somewhere like that. Uh, I think something, and I'm just kind of curious what uh, you guys think about this, Andy, particularly you, you made me think about this idea of what a pastor is and how a church views a pastor. Because what you're describing, I think is accurate that churches tend to see pastors as employees as someone they hire to provide a service rather than seeing pastors as a really an engrafted part of the family in that church. And I wonder what kind of difference that would make if churches had a different perspective on that. And so not pastors for like, what can they do for us? But really we have this young pastor. How can we help them grow and develop? 
and how how can we equip them better and and help them be more fruitful and and effective in ministry i think that i think there's a difference there that i, I would really be curious to kind of tease that out and and see what you guys think about that well i i agree wholeheartedly with that mindset um, thinking along the lines of a family i think that just in general uh, that's obviously a metaphor a biblical metaphor for the church and really one of the dominant ones but I think any time you have a question as a pastor, as a church member or whatever, what should I do in this particular situation? I think it's really helpful to, to ask the question, well, what would any family do? Um, so again, fill in the blank on the issue. What would, what would my family do? You know, how are we going to handle this? You know, often like, what about the kids in our church? What are we going to do with the kids? Well, what, what do we do in our family? We, you know, we include them or we help them, uh, in this process or, or whatever. So I think the same thing as it relates to caring for your pastor, if you do see them as part of the family and not external to it, a whole lot of these questions are going to be worked out. Well, what would I want for my brother or my son or whatever the case may be? And even more so for the kids of that pastor, if he has kids, um, how can we treat these kids like our own or our own grandkids? Um, so many of these issues are worked out just thinking through that lens. Um, I, I remember in, um, I think it was one of my interviews here when I was uh, getting, yeah, I, th I think it was when I was candidating here. And it's a little different again because I knew the people and I knew the church. But um, the question of vacation time came up. And I think they were just asking me what I would need. Or I might have stated it along the way and, and they um, – they were dealing with it because of that. And I said, I, I need at a minimum three weeks of vacation time. And I was pretty adamant about that because our families were away. And I knew that if we wanted to see our families and wanted our kids to see their grandparents and all those things, it was just going to take us more time to get there and, and, uh, and all that. And uh, one lady in the meeting said, um, three weeks, I've been at my job 20 years. I only get two weeks. Uh, and it was very eye opening. Like clearly you've got to earn three weeks. You can't, are you kidding me? You can't start at three weeks. Where are we going to go from there? As opposed to hearing what I was saying, which was, here's our need. Here's why we want to serve you well for the, the remaining 49 weeks. Uh, so we need three, you know, in terms of rest. So I, all that to say, I think, yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly about thinking along the term, on the lines of family. That's a, you know, I just think when it comes to discussing compensation, things like that, that has to be the most awkward, uh, thing when it comes to candidating for 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 a church um because how do you because some people are going to inevitably come at it from that direction if you're not speaking the same languages it could be very offensive right so like i put myself in your position and if some lady had said that to me and i was like hey listen i need three now first off i came from the army i got four weeks of vacation a year to start off right and then you keep getting four weeks of vacation um and I look at pastoral ministry in a very similar lens in that um, just like the army can call you all over the place, right? You have very little choice over where you're going to land as far as where you live. So they give you four weeks because one, it's a tolling job. It's a taxing job. You're on call 24 seven and you're going to be away from your family much more than the average citizen in the United States. Sounds a lot like pastoral ministry, right? Hmm. So, um, I, I look at that very similar. I was floored when I found out that so many jobs don't offer a minimum of four weeks vacation. Like when coming out of, of the army, like I, it was astounding to me. 
Now, granted, this is coming from a guy who, when I got out of the army, I had almost 80 days saved up of leave. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I had all that time because I never took, uh, never took time off. So, like, if I were to go to a church and and have that conversation, someone was going, well, you, you want three weeks or four weeks or whatever it was, and they said something like that, I go, well, what do you mean only two? First off, I'd sympathize with that person. Like, why do you only have two weeks? You know, I there's something either wrong with you or the company. And then two, like, just because your company's stingy on vacation time, why do you want to be stingy? You know, and, you know, that, that must have been very difficult. Yeah, that that's it's easier to talk about vacation, and it was for me than compensation. And to Justin's point, a lot of churches just don't have the resources to to pay mm-hmm. a pastor more to to help cover their needs. And ultimately, if God is calling you there, God will provide for you. I, I don't want to mm-hmm. overlook that. But vacation yeah. time's easier because it doesn't really cost the church all that much. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it costs them the price of a week of pulpit supply or two. Um, but in, again, in my approach, it was all about framing it um, and not, not, to, not to just sell it, but truthfully to right. frame it in this way. I want to serve well. I want to serve for the long haul. And to do that, I'm going to have to rest. I'm going to have to take a break. Um, I think maybe this is true, generally speaking, in generations before mine, it was kind of a badge of honor to say, oh, well, I, I haven't taken a vacation in 17 years uh, and you know I've got all this vacation time accrued I think I've taken every day that I can <laughs> that's been allotted to me um, and and uh, not to say that that's a badge of honor but just to say I've needed it so it for me it was just having the honest conversation of this is how I'm approaching my work uh, and so it would be helpful if if I had the three it wasn't long later um, I got an additional week um, and it was for that same reason that the church was having, it was in a lean time financially and they had always liked to do some kind of cost of living raise. And I just knew that it, it wasn't really feasible. And so I just suggested, I didn't demand or ask for, I just suggested that maybe they consider an additional week of vacation time in lieu of that um, mm-hmm. cost of living raise. And they did that in perpetuity. So I think it was a pretty good deal. Um, but again, because, a fourth week at that stage of life with the number of kids we had and so forth was really helpful. I wouldn't keep asking for that. I would, Hey, how about five? How about seven? How about nine? <laughs> um, but you know, cause I think four is a, is a good pace yeah. uh, for my own life. So, yeah. Well, you shouldn't, you know, that's a caution. That, that should be a caution to someone entering the, the pastor as well. Like don't get greedy. Like what, yeah. to, like genuinely assess what you need and, and don't, don't try and get over on anybody either. You know, you, you want to be as honest as possible. Cause I think, and this was a lesson that I learned when I was in the army, as far as being a leader is that it, if, if the people that, that are under my command, um, if they have uh, family issues, and if they have financial issues, that's going to affect how they work for me. And I think that's, that's so true in pastoral ministry as well. If there's, and you, re- you can read about it all the time. If there are significant family issues going on in the life of a pastor, that's going to affect what they do, right? And I'm not just saying moral, you know, moral issues that might come up, but maybe there's a struggle that they have with their kids or with their – maybe they're, they're going through a rough spot in their marriage. Um, maybe they're going through a financial problem because um, all of a sudden they weren't counting – maybe they're having a trouble getting a house loan. You guys don't have a parsonage, and they're having trouble getting a house loan because – 
they weren't expecting their student loan to be so high coming out of seminary. And, you know, so that's, that's going to be a struggle for them as well. And they're not going to be able to be as available for their congregation if their wife has to work. Right. So if their wife has to work 40 hours a week and they have young kids, what do you do? You know, that's going to be very difficult. They're not going to be able to make every meeting. They're not going to be able to be as flexible with their time as I think we expect with our pastors. Another thing that just occurred to me that keep in mind, particularly young pastors, that what you do affects the next guy who comes mm. after you. And so if you're a pastor that has three weeks of vacation and you, you don't take any of it or some of it, it's going to, you're, you're in some ways potentially harming the next guy. If, but this goes to a compensation as well. And Tom Rayner uh, tells a story about this, about a church he was in that they had just two kids at the time, I think, but the church had grown to over 300 people while he was there, but they never increased his pay to the point that his family was having to get food out of the, mm. the food pantry at the church. But he was too proud to ask for a raise that, that they needed. That they, like it was a legitimate need the church could afford at that point. And he wound up leaving the church over that. And he, he said one of his regrets there was he, he felt like he harmed the guy who came after him because he wasn't constantly, you know, um, looking at that. And, and, and as the church grew, it, it, his compensation didn't grow with it as well. So it's, it's kind of something to think about from that perspective as well, that how you act in those situations could have potentially adversely affect the people who come after you. Mm. Along those same lines, because we just talked, I imagine there are some really good benefits to a young, uh, a young man coming into the pastorate as well. For sure. Uh, I mean, we, we, assuming you mean first time pastors, right? This is what you're you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, we we need more of them. Uh, And so, and so, yeah, we need churches who are, are ready and and willing to, um, to welcome them. I mean, new life is always a blessing uh, to our network and even to a church. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I think this is probably less true now than it was. And Justin would be able to speak to this a lot more accurately, but there was a, a time when churches were kind of afraid, I think, shying away from that young pastor. They they wanted a guy with five years experience, uh, and yet there weren't many churches who were willing to give a guy five years experience, except for those really, really unhealthy churches that weren't going to give that good experience <laughs> anyway. Um, I think probably generally because of our situation, churches are more open to it, but yeah, embrace that opportunity to be a church that supports a young guy and young family. Uh, and, and however long they're there, you're at least playing that, that role in their lives. And I'll speak to my situation. We're nine years here almost at Faith Church. Uh, it's our only church that I pastored. And now moving on to Bix um, with a lot of regret and sadness, but already here as we start to, to wind down, our people have really with, with, healthy, the right kind of pride said, we are so thankful to have given you this experience. Like here Mm -hmm. serving among us, you've had experience that will be helpful for you in the future. Um, And I'm, I'm thankful that they were that kind of church willing to take Mm -hmm. the the risk on a young guy who's very um, green and, uh, and inexperienced and 
probably made a lot of foolish mistakes, willing to take that risk because of the gain ultimately for the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. Can you think of any there, uh, Justin? Well, what a kind of a, again, I don't know if this is right in line with Eric's question here, but one of the things I wondered about given the demands of pastoring and the demands of having a family with small children like you do, and you have four children and under, you have yeah. one that's even maybe under 18 year months. Yeah. 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 So, so you kind of go from when you go from the, the chaos of ministry at the church to the chaos of home, where do you find and how have you learned to find ways, um, places of respite and refreshing? Um, because it seems like you're going to be on 24 seven with that kind of schedule. Hmm. Um, I am very thankful that we have a 15 to 20 minute. I have a 15 or 20 minute drive home from the office. Um, it's a good amount of time to unwind. I'm not always thankful for it, I guess I should say, but uh, on, on the end, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm thankful for that because, um, yeah, definitely a, a good opportunity to prepare myself. Now I, I didn't learn that right away. Uh, unfortunately, um, but over time, I, I've realized the need to just prepare myself to be home, even in the same way that I'm preparing myself to be in the office or I'm preparing myself to, to be here on a Sunday morning. I need to prepare myself to be home. Otherwise, and this still happens, I'm not trying, <laughs> I don't have it all figured out. But otherwise, I'm giving my family what's left in the tank as opposed to, you know, the best. Um, so that's one way. There Other times, um, and, you know, I have the flexibility in my schedule to be able to do it. Most pastors do. Uh, but just clear a morning. There, there's a place here. It's a like a state park um, where I can just go. And, and I'm not a big, like, hiking person, as you might have guessed. And uh, so, but even still, I'll, I'll just go and walk the paths in this park. Or sometimes just go there and sit in my car on a Monday morning just to prepare my heart uh, and to, to prepare myself for the day. Um, but that happens on the other end, too. Um, you know, to, to prepare myself to be uh, meeting the chaos of, of home. <laughs> uh, but I'll, I'll say one, maybe one or two other things about that. Early on in, in pastoral ministry, I was bringing my laptop home every day and with a list of things that I needed to get done that night. That was not healthy for my family and it was not healthy for my church life or anything. And at some point it kind of hit a breaking point and I said, nope, I can't do it. And I, with only just a few exceptions, I just, I never do that anymore. I never try to work in the evenings at home. It's not fair to my family and it's not, it's not right to work that many hours. Um, and so, yeah, I don't get as much done or I've had to cut some things, but it was the best decision I made for, for my family's sake and, and for my own, I think, health as well. Mm. Um, and then another thing I, I was talking in the last podcast about finding those rhythms and commitments that work for you. Um, just uniquely even for you. One thing that I've always done w- without much intentionality at the outset was I never work on Friday nights. I never do anything on Friday nights um, if I can help it at least. I'm never a meeting. Um, very rarely any church functions happen on Friday nights. And so even if there's nothing planned for our family, it's at least 
a night that I know I'm just checking out mentally. Um, so and that's hard because sometimes Friday afternoon I go home without my sermon kind of as neat and tidy as I'd like it to be, but doesn't matter. There's always Saturday. There's always Sunday morning. Um, but Friday nights are just off limits. It's a small commitment, but it's been so helpful for me for the very thing you're talking about, Justin. Mm. You know, one thing, one thing, I, and I think that's good. One thing I've also thought about, you know, some of the positives of having uh, a younger pastor come in is that they're probably, you know, they're more fresh with their training with seminary and they're probably handling at that level. You know, and I'm still in seminary, but we're talking a lot in seminary about issues that are, that are um, people are going through now. Right. So um, I remember one of my professors was saying when they were in seminary, the big issue of that day was uh, the authority of scripture, uh, the infallibility of scripture. And that was back like in the seventies and no, you know, now in Bible colleges and seminaries, they're really talking about a couple of things. How, how do we be missional, right? How do we, um, live life on mission and, and look at evangelism as a total um, pat. Like it's it invades every aspect of our lives, not just a program that we do at, at church, but also how to navigate the very difficult issues of of the day that we're finding now. So how how can we evangelize? How can we reach the people who are struggling with gender identity or or um, or same sex attraction things like that? How do we how do we navigate those issues? How do we navigate the difficult political issues of our day as well, when lines seem to have blurred quite a bit between um, faith and um, and party, meaning political party. So I wonder if that's a positive of having a younger pastor come in as well, is that these are ideas that are fresh in their minds, that they might not have everything figured out, but that might be something they can bring to a table of a church um, where they're, they can help them think through those issues as well. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think what you're saying uh, on, on a high level is just a, a different perspective, right? The, mm-hmm. um, I, there's a downside to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is that it, kind of the reverse of that, you know, the, 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 especially thinking theologically, even culturally, the things that you think the, the, the young pastor coming in thinks are the hot button issues that they have to figure out and they have to address from the pulpit and all those things are things here. People are just not dealing with. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah. that works both ways. But I think just in general, the, a, a fresh perspective um, is the upside of, of somebody that's younger. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Justin, well, what do you think? No, I mean, it is, the thing that just strikes me about a young pastor is the energy that he can bring. I mean, I think you've already mentioned that, but just this idea of you know, he's not tired, not yet. <laughs> he's not, he hasn't been at it. And so I, I think there's there's just a lot of having that energy and that enthusiasm. And that's contagious in a church when you see somebody come in who has that kind of fervor to, to see things happen in, in terms of ministry. And it can be. Uh, it, it can be it can be a powerful catalyst to change in a church if if it's tempered enough and um, so so yeah, I think to me that's what just the, the huge advantage a young pastor can bring. But I mean, in I, likewise, I, I, I think there might be some practical concerns too. Sometimes uh, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but people always say this like we want a younger pastor so he'll attract younger families, and I think there's probably a little bit of truth to that that younger families are going to be drawn to someone who understands them and knows where they are in life. 
And so I think there's maybe that that kind of practical consideration as well. Well, with that, I, I think I've read maybe it was Rainer, maybe it was some other study, but I know it was um, one of the it was probably a Lifeway or Barner study. Um, but they were saying that the majority of, of people in your church uh, are going to be within 10 years of age of that pastor, of your everyday preacher. So that means if you're 45 years old, most of your people are going to be between 35 and 55. Um, now, I don't remember the exact percentage of what that might look like. But, you know, I talked with other pastors about that study and asked them what they thought. And they, and they looked back and said, you know what? Actually, our church is within 10 years of our age, you know, the majority of what. So I thought that, that there was some truth there. Um, but I also think, like, there's, as Andy mentioned, that there is a downside of a young pastor coming in and having all these great ideas of how the church is supposed to look coming at a sentence the way it's supposed to be. But, Justin, you've said this numerous times on, on the podcast that you got to love the church you have, not the church you want. Right. So it's trying to learn how to if, if you believe the church is operating in a non-biblical manner. OK, start plotting a course backwards plan. You see what the Bible teaches on, say, leadership Well, work backwards. How can you model that leadership? Look at a 10 year plan. As I think I said in one of the previous podcasts or maybe I said it somewhere else. John Piper it took him 10 years to get his church to start voting on deacons on biblical grounds for biblical qualifications. 10 years, right? That's that's astounding for a guy of that caliber, right? Like I, I would have thought that, boom, whatever Piper says do, right? That's how a lot of people treat treat John Piper. But um, to see him take that slow road to getting to a, a, a biblical view of church um, is very encouraging in a sense to say, Hey, if we don't have it done in three years, like it's okay. It's not the end of the world. Yeah, I would say um, to that point, which I uh, I know and have experienced and appreciate. Love the church you have, not the one that you want. Love the people that are in front of you. As we think about how a, a church can better support their pastor, I think that same principle applies there. Love the pastor you have, not the one that you want. Um, love the pastor that that God has raised up and, and called for your church, not the one that doesn't, or, you know, only because he meets your expectations. Um, and and that, that has a lot to do with bearing with, I think, a younger pastor who's going to make mistakes mm -hmm. and who maybe doesn't check all of the boxes that you want him to check. Uh, and who doesn't do things the way that you would want him to do it or the way that the guy before him did it, um, but love that pastor well and, and commit to following that pastor, um, even if, you know, he doesn't check all your boxes, all your mm -hmm. preferences. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, Andy, I've got a question for you. Uh, you're in a unique situation of having grown up as a the son of a pastor. What did that experience as the child of a pastor teach you about how you treat your kids and how what your expectations are for your kids and the members of the church what did you learn from that your experience in that that context that you've been able you think that's been helpful to you as you've raised your kids in as pastor of a church hmm. i think my parents did a really good job at shielding us from the burdens of pastoral ministry 
Um, if there were conflicts in the church, we didn't know about them. Uh, they didn't affect us as kids. And, and actually, it's been interesting in recent years since being in pastoral ministry to talk with my dad about things that happened in churches, you know, that I was a part of, people that I knew to find out some of the things that were going on behind the scenes. And again, in hindsight, I appreciate so much that as kids, we just didn't know that, you know, we were blissfully ignorant about uh, all those sorts of things. So that's one major thing. And, and one thing that I've tried to do, I, I don't know that I've done it well, but um, yeah, to kind of shield our kids from some of the burdens. Um, yeah, I, I think we, again, I, I think as growing up, I didn't feel from my parents the typical pastor's kid expectations. I didn't feel from them a, a high bar, I don't think. Um, and so I've tried, you know, our kids are imperfect too. Like, but that's that's tough as a parent because at the same time, as I said before to our church, I don't mind it one bit when kids are crying during the service or making a scene during my sermon or anything else, but it better not be my kids. <laughs> um, so I, I do have that double standard. I know that I do, and it's so hard to fight against it. But what? So I'll speak to more to what I want than what I actually do. I, I want my kids to not feel that pressure as well, that they have to be different kids because they're the pastor's mm. kids. Uh, I don't know. We could get Jaden on here and you could interview him and he could. <laughs> That's not my dad. Um, but anyway, yeah. So it, it's been helpful um, to have grown up and, and to see it, see it from that perspective. Um, yeah. That's good, man. Cause I think there's so much pressure being a, being the pastor and having kids because like, I feel it too in my own church where like, I feel like sometimes if my kids aren't exactly acting how I would deem or other people would deem appropriate um, that I feel the pressure. And it was more early on, like a couple of years ago, the last year or so, I think that God's really done a work in me to kind of just say, you know what, I'm going to keep my kids within reason, but I'm going to let them be kids as well. Um, Cause that's, it can be a lot of pressure, right? Cause no matter how you discipline your kids, people are always going to judge you on that. They shouldn't, but they will. So if, if you're someone who doesn't spank your kids, you're a bad parent, right? Because the reason your kids are acting up is because you don't spank your kids. Now, if you spank your kids, you're a bad parent because the reason um, your kids are acting up is because you're spanking them, right? It's all in the eye of whoever, however they parented. So everybody always judges you, I think. And this is how I feel um, based on how they were raised or how they raised kids, their own kids. And, um, and of course, their kids were perfect, right? They raised their kids the perfect way. Um, now, I can tell you, People in my church have been gracious to me. No one's ever said anything like that. It's always been my own, um, I guess, thinking about things by myself when I'm not asking people um, what they think and stuff like that. I always just assume the worst, right? And I think that's just the human thing to do. So I would even say, like, as a word of advice to churches that might be listening to this, encourage your pastor and encourage your pastor's wife, sometimes by not saying anything. Right. And just praying for for them and for patience for the parents, because they're under a lot of pressure, whether you realize it or not, to kind of put up this front of, you know, we have everything together with our family, you know, and when in reality, we're just a lot of times winging it just like everybody else is. So. Yeah, I would come back to kind of where we started there was with saying, what would my encouragement be to a church? if you're trying to figure out how to 
welcome a young pastor, treat them like family. So mm. how are you treating the other kids in your church? You know, how, how are you, how would you treat your own kids or grandkids in your church? Um, they are family ultimately. I mean, this is not like a, just a thought experiment, brothers and sisters in Christ. Like the, we are knit together as the family of God. Um, mm. And so treat them that way. Um, yeah. We, we are so blessed in, at faith church over these last nine years to, for the way that we've been treated, the way that we've been welcomed, our kids are like grandkids to many of the people in our church. Uh, mm. They, all of the other kids are like cousins. You know, they have aunts and uncles in our church, um, not by blood. You know, and and they call some of them aunt so and so and uncle so and so, and uh, and that means they get cards from them and gifts from them on their birthdays, whether or not they those people come to a birthday party. They um, at Christmas time, the same thing. They they want to be involved in our kids' lives. They they want to be involved in our lives. So uh, I, I cannot thank God enough for the, the church family he's given us. And so much of it has to do with that simple fact. They treat us like family. Um, mm. It's such a blessing. That's good. That's good. Hey, so uh, look at our next question. What are some ways that you've heard of churches caring for their younger pastor and their family? Um, well, I, I can speak to our church and it's not, not just what I've heard of, but what I've experienced. Um, because again, our faith church has done this so well. And I don't think just with me, but I think through the years, um, thinking about the benefits thing, I already mentioned vacation time. They were gracious to, to give us three weeks vacation at the outset. And then a few years later, a fourth week, and they encourage us to take it. The expectation is that we would take it. Um, mm. Same thing with the day off during the week. Uh, we've got people in our church who, um, if I were here on a Thursday, happens to be my day off. If I was here, um, for some reason, if I switched days, people would say, why are you here? You know, like, go home. Mm. You shouldn't be here. Um, and uh, we just have a lot of those people who are not only gracious in giving those benefit, so to speak, but making sure that we take them um, and then showing appreciation in tangible ways. So again, we, I think that we are taken care of financially by our church. I, certainly by most standards, we're, we're not highly paid people, um, but our needs are met. And sometimes that means our needs are met because of a random card that shows up in the mail with a gift card in it mm-hmm. um, or pastoral appreciation month a card that shows up on my desk with um, $50 in it or uh, Christmas time, you know, I, I, various people in our church is just generous with Christmas gifts and that sort of thing. So they're always making sure our needs are cared for well beyond what shows up in a paycheck. Um, and, uh, and I could go down the list and in tangible ways too, that they're making sure that we are all set. But to do that, you have to know the pastor. He can't be back to Justin's point. He can't be, just be your employee. Um, employers don't always know those things about their employees, but, but family members do, they know what the struggles are. They know when the car is in the shop and the bill's going to be high. And so they, they do something about it. Um, yeah. so taking care of, of your pastor that way. Um, and I would say, uh, and there's, I could go down a whole long list of things of ways that churches can care for their pastors, um, but praying for them. That, that's what pastors do, right? They're, at, at the, the party, 
um, the birthday party, if the pastor's there, he's the one asked to pray for the meal or the wedding reception or, or anything. It's always the pastor prays. Um, we are always the ones saying with people, hey, can I pray for you? But some of the sweetest times um, that I can think of in pastoral ministry was when somebody in a, my church offered to pray for us or with us. Um, and, uh, and, and nothing, I think, uh, has the ability to communicate how much you care for somebody else than not just saying, I'm praying for you, because that's pretty easy to say, but actually saying, can I pray with you right now? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I've just appreciated the way that's happened. I, I could keep going. I don't want to dominate it, so feel free to jump in. What, what do you think? Uh, well, Justin, Justin, do you want to handle that? Oh, well, I mean, never having been in that situation, I think it's tough. One of the things that that we've tried to do with the pastor with young children is to provide opportunities if they want to take advantage to have somebody keep their kids so there's a couple they can go out to eat or go on a trip sometimes for anniversary or whatever. So that, that can be huge because to pay somebody to do that would just make it inaccessible, you know, especially for four kids. I mean, that would, you know, and so I think that's a really, it's a small thing that really doesn't cost anybody anything except a little bit of time. Plus it allows your kids to, to be taken care of by someone they probably already know well and have a relationship with and you're comfortable with and those sorts of things. So I think that's, that can be a huge thing for a pastor that has small children, especially it can be really a huge, huge thing that won't, wouldn't seem like a lot to you, but it would mean a whole lot to them. Mm, definitely. I can tell you three things that over, um, over my short tenure where I'm at, um, that have really stood out. What, what are you laughing? <laughs> it's been a, I've been there three years. Uh, I know in what a few years ago, three years was a was a long tenure, right, at a church. So, <laughs> um, I, anyway, so three things that that I think of uh, of ways that people have cared for my for me and my family, and none of them involve money, is that having other women come and seek to establish a relationship with my wife. Um, and, and not to get anything out of it other than trying to help spur her on, encourage her and disciple her. Um, to me, that, that encourages me more than anything. Um, two, you know, I've had church members uh, actually um, volunteer to watch my kids for me so I could go have a night out with my wife or to actually like for me to go to a meeting, like if I have an elders meeting or an official board meeting, you know, I've had a church member before watch my kids a couple of times because my wife was working um, late that night. So to have that and like when I go to try and pay them, you know, try and pay them whatever, because I wasn't assuming they were doing it for free, them almost act, you know, they kind of acted offended. Like, why would you expect to pay me? You know, Um, and and that's just that's a huge blessing, I think, um, that has nothing to do with finances, but a way where it's showing me that you care about my wife, you care about my kids. And you care about me by doing that. And then third, having other men in the church um, actually seek to try and disciple me as well. Actually try and care for me and see how I'm doing spiritually, how I'm doing as a father. Um, you know, what my, you know, check and see how my relationship is going with my wife. Um, just simply because they want to care for me. Like those, I, so to me, like establishing relationships that aren't, they aren't seeking to get anything out of it. Cause I do, I, I mean, I hear so many 
bad stories about church members trying to get in goody goody with the pastor because they think they can get something out of it. Um, I don't know what they're, what they think they can get out of it. Like some special prayer or something like that. My dad seems to think ever since I've been in ministry, that I have some uh, red phone that I can call God uh, that he doesn't have access to. Right. It's, it's silly what some people think about, you know, when we're in pastoral ministry, but you know, seek to seek to actually care for the family of the pastor, you know, and it doesn't necessarily have to be financial gifts. Although those can help sometimes. Like I, I know we've benefited from, like a gift here and there from a, a person or a group of people in the church when no one knew what type of financial need we're in. But uh, like, I think uh, last year we weren't, we weren't going to be able to afford Christmas gifts for our kids because um, something came up and all of a sudden someone randomly gave us a card for Christmas that had more than enough money to cover the gifts that we would have wanted to get for our kids. So those types of things, I mean, it's just, it's terrific. It really shows a lot. Yeah, and I would add, um, again, not not thinking along the lines of compensation or even uh, explicitly caring for family, but but letting that young pastor lead, which is mm. going to mean letting him make mistakes and and showing a lot of grace and cutting a lot of slack. Um, but it seems like the the one of the worst things you can do for a young guy is just to always uh, doubt his wisdom or, or assume that because he's young, he's, he's going to, you know, lead us in the wrong direction. Assume that he doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, or even assume that you can outlast the pastor. So, you know what, if I don't agree with what he says, I'm going to be here longer than he is, you know, and just yeah. to kind of have that approach, but um, expect the, the pastor to be around a long time and, and expect that he's going to make some mistakes, but follow him anyway. Um, I think is, is one way to, to definitely be a blessing to him. And another thing I would add is don't install a time clock. Um, literally, don't do it. But even even in some kind of figurative sense where you're making sure that he is always there at whatever time in the office and then always punching out and, and always getting in a certain number of hours a week, I, I think that that's, that's – um, not a helpful way to treat your pastor. You know, I think you need to to show a lot of grace in that way. See, I thought you were referring to a time clock, like on the pulpit to make sure they were done on time. Uh, yeah, that might actually be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Especially for Andy Rice and Faith Evangelical Church. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but no, I, I just mean, I think that there are some churches that are way, there are people in churches that are way too, um, wired in, in kind of the business mindset where you say we've got to uh we, we've got to make sure that they're there a certain amount of hours or that they're available to us when we expect them to be available to us I, mean, I don't think pastors should take advantage of that but i think a time clock is the wrong mentality that's just not the way ministry works um so so let them let them just spur the moment if there aren't any meetings or anything in the calendar take a morning to be with their family uh, if that's what's needed in that moment um again don't take advantage of that as a young pastor. Don't be lazy, uh, but be wise in the way that you use your time and, and churches should let their pastors do that. Well, I think if you know who you're hiring as a pastor, if you, if you know who you're calling as a pastor, you've checked with their references to see what kind of um, person they are, how hard they work and things like that. You're not going to have to worry about what, how much time they spend in the office. Cause you know, uh, I remember having a conversation with your dad a couple of uh, years ago when I was at, you know, well, I'm still at Oak Hill, but um 
you know, he's he's uh, all, as much as he likes to say that he's not my boss and that we're equals. I still look at him as uh, my boss. In fact, you'll often hear me refer to him as boss man. Um, but, you know, he I remember him saying something to me and I forget the context, but he essentially said, uh, I, hi-, you know, when we hired you, when we called you, we knew what kind of person you were. We knew that we we're hiring someone that was going to go above and beyond. Don't I-, I think I was feeling guilty because it was during the summer. And I wasn't spending as much time in the office as I felt obligated that I needed to. And it was just like, I know you're working from home. I know you're doing this. And I know you're doing that because I see the work that you're sending in. Like, don't worry about it, you know? So I think if you know the type of person that the that you're calling to be your next pastor, if you know they're going above and beyond, you don't have to worry about whether they're in the office or not. And on the flip side, like I'm someone who I like having certain office hours. Like I like to know – Hey, on Mondays, nine to 12, I'm going to be in the office. If you want to come by, have a cup of coffee or something like that. I'd love to talk to you, you know, having those types of office hours. Um, Cause I think that's helpful. It shows availability and things like that. Um, but I think you have to work those things out probably on the front end as well. Like at, at, as you're going through the, the candidacy processes, you know, what does, what does, what do the hours look like and where are they going to be? Are they going to be in the office or, or things like that? Um, I have a friend here locally who's, who's a pastor. Um, he actually has office hours at a coffee shop. Um, and he'll say, you know, come by any time and I'll buy you a cup of coffee. Um, you know, and he has probably, I think six hours throughout the whole week that he's at that coffee shop and he's working on sermons. He's doing all these other things. And um, so he, he's doing that stuff and, and people can interrupt him during that time. Um, and he, he encourages it. He wants to see people in that. Um, in that venue. Cool. Uh, Do you guys have anything to add? <laughs> I'm a little bit of dead air there. Uh, what, what's that? Sorry. I like for the people who are listening, we're recording at home at my house or I'm at home and uh, one of my kids is trying to talk to me. So my bad. <laughs> Maybe that'd be a good place to wrap it up. Okay. All right. That's where we're going. We're trying to wrap it up. So um, do you guys have any parting shots? I think just to answer the, the big picture question of this podcast and in maybe three bullet points, how can a church treat its young pastor? Um, I think one way, be a family, treat them as family, actually welcome them in, pray for them and with them. And then lastly, be generous err on the side of generosity to whatever degree God gives you as a church and, and individuals in that church, the opportunity to be generous. Um, I think those three things can go a long way toward really positioning a young pastor to serve well and to serve for the long haul. Jay Nash. No, I think that's great. Uh, thank Andy. Andy's did a great job. Andy, thanks for being here. Appreciate you putting up with us twice in one day. <laughs> yeah no my pleasure i appreciate what you're doing on the podcast and i will continue to be a faithful listener Ah, <laughs> uh, our really you're our only listener so yeah i'm still looking for the call-in number too by the way <laughs> hey andy um is there anywhere that people can follow you like maybe on twitter or instagram or anything like that uh an occasional guest on the evan christian voices podcast um, no, I, I, I'm on Twitter. Yeah. I don't generate much content, but pastor Andy Rice at pastor so, Andy Rice. 
So don't follow you on Twitter is what you're saying. Follow me on Twitter and you'll see all my retweets. Yep. Who, okay. What was your last re- retweet? I don't – I have no idea. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to go tweet, retweet something right now and then, then you'll know. <laughs> oh, that's painful. All right. Well, hey, uh, thank you everybody for listening. And really, it's probably only Andy Rice who's listening to this. Um, but, hey, we'll try and do better next time. We will have Andy Rice, so it's going to be very difficult. So uh, thanks again. And uh, talk to you soon. Thank you.